Uh, back at it. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, fresh off his visit to Gallagher Iba Arena, where he got to watch OSU knock off Kansas. Colby, first, how was the uh, environment in Gallagher Iba considering the pandemic and fewer numbers? Oh, dude, it was so awesome to be there and to watch a sporting event uh, live and in person. My wife and I, we've been being really careful pretty much since the start of this thing. And uh, so I had not been to a live sporting event of any kind since probably November of 2019. This has probably been, what is that, 14 months wow. since I've been to a live sporting event of any kind. And, you know, I'm, I'm used to going to one about, you know, once or twice a week. Yeah. Um, and it was, oh, dude, it was just awesome to be there. And the fact that they got the win was just icing on the cake. It was it was great. Yeah, it looked like a lot of fun. It got loud at times, which we'll, we'll discuss here coming up in a sec. But first, let's get to Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner. Be sure to shop at Chris universityspirit.com and I know there was a lot of people in town for the game so hopefully stop by Chris's it's, it's right by Hideaway grab you a pizza grab you a shirt and we appreciate uh, Chris's sponsoring the podcast as always let's get to the first five Colby obviously number one OSU beats Kansas um, sixth ranked team in the country you and I talked about on the last show it was a really good spot for OSU and uh a lot to get to in this game, but I think first and foremost, Colby, as you were sitting in the stands and I was watching on TV, it felt like it was happening again. Another just calamitous collapse where OSU was up, I believe, 16 in the second half. They yet again give up a massive run. I think Kansas goes on a 21-2 run to take a three-point lead in this game. And Colby, it appeared like OSU was about to collapse yet again because we've seen it over and over again. Yeah, it, it did. It was, I was at the game with my sister and with like nine minutes and 13 seconds left, somewhere in that neighborhood, Oklahoma State went up by 16. I think Kansas called a timeout. So I looked at my sister and I said, okay, surely there is no way that they can <laughs> blow this 16 point lead with nine minutes left. And they did. Oklahoma State trailed by three and had the ball with just over a minute left before ice hit that three from the corner. And then, went, and then everything changed back Oklahoma State's direction. But it, it was just, Oklahoma State did not have anything that they could do inside against McCormick, who for the game had 24 and 12 and was 10 of 18 from the floor. I mean, they they had Isaac Likely on him at times. They had Kate Cunningham on him at times. Bernard Kuma came in the game and tried. Caleb Boone came in the game and tried. And Oklahoma State could not stop McCormick. And I, I just – I didn't know what they were going to do. So after Ice hits the three and they tie it up at 70 – I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, Kansas is just going to come back down and chuck it down to McCormick and let him back down and go to work and get his layup like he's been doing the entire comeback. They were doing it every possession, the entire comeback. And then on the most important possession of the game, they decided to totally clear out. Um, I, I can't remember who they cleared out for, but they, they cleared out for somebody else. It was a disaster for Kansas. It was a magic moment for Oklahoma State. Um, so the, the last 10 minutes of that game were pure adrenaline. It really was. And I think the, the number one thing that happened to OSU during that horrible run where McCormick was scoring at will was, I think you're going to see this from every single team moving forward in the Big 12, is Kansas just started playing zone. And OSU just kept falling for it, kept shooting outside shots. And that's part of why they went on that 21-2 run. And Mike Boynton said he thought it was more of allowing Kansas to score, which in turn – helped Kansas set up their defense and I'm sure that's part of it but man if I'm a 
Big 12 coach, I am running zone and I'm saying you guys shoot it outside all day long because we're going to pack the paint and not let you in here because I think that's that's what teams have finally realized against OSU is that you know we all we knew they weren't a good three-point shooting team we know they've missed free throws but they also tend to play right into your hands if you run zone against them is that something you notice when you're watching just it almost seemed almost immediate once Kansas went full-on zone that OSU just had no answers yeah you know Oklahoma State was nine of 21 from beyond the arc but I think that that's misleading uh, cause pretty much all of those, except for the one likely hit came earlier in the game, came before the 10 minute mark of the second half. And a lot of those misses came late in the game. You know, I, I was so glad that Rondell Walker redeemed himself at the end of that game because he hit his first three of the night. And then the rest of the night, I, I mean, he couldn't hit the ocean from the, from the beach. Um, and he, he was doing so many other things well in that game. He, he really played a phenomenal game despite the poor shooting. Um, so it was good to see him get kind of the, the redemption there at the end. But, you know, the zone problem is going to be one that Oklahoma State's going to figure out, going to have to figure out how to beat. And the solution is not just to shoot threes over the top of it because you're not a good three-point shooting team. Uh, you know, aside from Bryce Williams and, and Cade shot the ball well from three the other night. And actually, very surprisingly, Isaac likely leads the team in percentage, though it's on a small number of attempts. He's been better from three this year. I, I don't know. I mean, against a team like Baylor, I haven't watched Baylor this year, but it's still Scott Drew. I'm assuming it's still uh, a ton of zone. I expect to get a lot of zone from OU on Saturday, who's playing really good basketball right now. I think that game sets up really tough. Now you've got the weird gap in the schedule with the West Virginia game being postponed. So, I don't know, OU and uh, now that the West Virginia's game has been postponed, what's the first game after OU? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I just had it in front of me. Uh, I did too. I'm trying to pull it, it back up. Quick. It was supposed to be West Virginia, obviously, and they've had their next Now three. it's uh, Baylor. It is Baylor. But yep. it's a week away. Like it's, They play this Saturday, and then they play the 23rd, which is the following Saturday. So you think that might bode well for Oklahoma State to have a full week to get themselves ready for Baylor? I do. I mean, I, obviously, if you, you beat Kansas and Oklahoma, you feel like you have a lot of momentum. But I, I just think with the way these games get tight in the second half, they really need to figure out how to attack a zone because you know Baylor's going to run it, like you said. I mean, Scott Drew finally learned what his zone defense was in, like, 2015, and it really helped his entire tenure at Baylor because he was such a bad X's and O's coach. Like, oh, yeah, I got, I got all this length and size. Let's just run a zone. So you know you're going to see it against them exclusively, and I think you're going to see it throughout the rest of the conference slate. So I, I do think that can help. Uh, part of it, you, you think, well, man, they got momentum, and that'll slow them down. But as I mentioned on the last show too, Colby, it just seems like every time they get momentum with a big win, they take two steps back the, the following game. Maybe this week off could help prevent that. But um, to your point about the three-point shooting, it, it was almost it – was, it was everyone knew in the arena, I'm sure, and everyone knew watching at home, like – it was such fool's gold the way that game started. I think they were six of eight from three to start. And we were all like, okay, we all know that's not sustainable. And sure enough, they missed like eight of their next nine in the second half from three. And I think likely hit one to, to get them to like two of 10 in the second half. So that was kind of a fool's gold situation with the three-point shooting early on. But Colby, they do get the lead based on what I called the play of the, the year so far, the play of the season. Cade Cunningham, who was – brilliant early in this game which we've not seen a lot from him he makes a block dives out of bounds and saves it he get, eventually gets all the way out to Rondell Walker for the and one and the ball didn't touch the ground via a dribble it was an unbelievable play how loud did it get in Gallagher because I can't even imagine how loud it would have been for a full full arena 
Yeah, I would have loved to have had a full arena there for that. But even with just the 3,000 and change of us that were in the arena, it still got pretty loud. And it was just one of those plays where, you know, and again, Kansas didn't clear out from McCormick. They didn't do what everybody knows they should have done. (laughs) They decided to do something totally different than what had been working for the past half hour. And it burned them because Oklahoma State was ready for it. Cade made a phenomenal play. You know, I can't remember who it was the other day. It might have been Todd Lisenby on Twitter talking about the block being the most overrated play in basketball because the other team usually retains possession. Well, there are exceptions to that rule, like the one that Cade Cunningham made on Tuesday night where he saved it. And, Carson, you would swear – that Cade Cunningham was in the air for like eight seconds as he jumped to save that ball because he jumped, he caught it, and he's facing the south wall of Gallagher-Iba as he catches it. He turns around in midair, somehow looking back into a swarm of players, locates Bryce Williams at the free throw line, one hand chucks it to him, gets the hockey assist as Bryce Williams then sends it up the floor to Rondell Walker. There were zero dribbles for Oklahoma State to go really more than 94 feet because Cade Cunningham was about five feet out of bounds when he threw it in. So they go nearly 100 feet with no dribbles, and Rondell Walker completely redeems himself for the way he had shot down the stretch in that game, makes the free throw to give him a three-point lead, another steal by Bryce Williams. It was – there are moments in a season that you can point to that you say that is where it started. And I really think and hope – that that moment was that play on Tuesday night for Oklahoma State. Yeah, it, to me, is one of the more memorable plays we've seen in, in years. I think uh, you go to, like, Mitchell Solomon diving on the floor in Bedlam is one that comes to mind of recent years. But, no, I think I think that's a play that, you know, we know Cade's going to be here for one year. And I think that's going to be one of the first plays you think of is that, that block and the save. And that's not something you'd really – envision yourself thinking of when you think of Cade Cunningham this six foot eight point guard who's a distributor and scorer obviously so that that was an amazing play and really just what Gallagher I was all about like that I can't imagine what that place would have been like in a full arena and so as great as that play was Colby (laughs) it was somewhat outdone individually by Bryce Williams you know Kansas has the ball with you know down three a chance to tie Bryce Williams gets the steal, and instead of just doing a typical, you know, windmill or just a, a routine dunk or layup, he bounces it to himself as if he's in the dunk contest and does a reverse jam. One of the coolest endings to a game I've ever seen, let alone in Gallagher-Ibo Arena. How, how awesome was that? Yeah, I mean, it really was incredible. It's, it's the one game I've been to in more than a year. It's probably the one game uh, that I will go to this season, it's actually, you know, I said I was there with my sister. My parents have season tickets. They they were unavailable to go. Uh, and so we got to go, and they'll probably go the rest of them this season. So, you know, I feel really lucky that I was at that game. And Bryce Williams, he's got a little, little spring in his legs. Uh, you know, the windmill that he threw down earlier in the game, I think Kansas has gotten it down to eight, and then he threw down the windmill to extend it back to ten around that six or seven-minute mark. And then he gets the steal again at the end of the game. I thought for sure he was just going to dribble it out. And then he bounced it up to himself and threw down the reverse jam. And everybody was just losing their minds. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a great atmosphere. And, you know, in a COVID season that's not allowing for full capacity at Oklahoma State, I mean, there are guys like obviously Cade Cunningham, Bryce Williams as a transfer, fair and flavor, some guys that, you know, might not be back at Oklahoma State next year. I think that – Tuesday more so than at any other point in the season, they got to feel what it feels like to be in Gallagher-Iba Arena when that crowd's rocking. 
even though it was only 3,000 and change of us, because there was not one beating heart in that arena that was not going crazy when that sequence went down at the end. Yeah, it's kind of like a, a throwback to old Gallagher, although that you can't just pack everyone into the lower bowl, obviously, with, for COVID reasons. But, you know, Gal old Gallagher held what, like 5,000, 6,000 maybe? I can't remember the exact 6, 000, number. 6,000, I think, maybe, yeah. Yeah, and it sounded like there were 25,000 in there at times based on the acoustics of the arena. So it's kind of a throwback. You got the uh, old Gallagher size crowd creating the noise. So really a great win for OSU. You mentioned Kansas not going to McCormick more. You know, Bill Self falls to six and eight inside oh, wow. Gallagher Iowa Arena. Uh, hey, I, I, just Googled it. I just Googled it, Carson. 9,000 is what seating was originally limited to. No kidding. I, I never would have guessed I would nine. not have guessed that. No. I mean, I, I grew up going to – my dad had tickets to old Gallagher when I was a kid. So that surprises me. But uh, great win for OSU. Hopefully you're right. Hopefully that play is a moment, Colby, where their, their season really – takes a turn and obviously, you know, we got Bedlam coming up and I, I just loved this so much. So after the game, OSU tweets out a video of Mike Boynton addressing the team. And he talks a lot about how they had faced these situations before giving up big leads and they, they finally found a way and, you know, winning's important and all that. But he says, quote, next game is just as important. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. Mike Boynton, we don't like them. It's personal talking about Bedlam, which I love. And again, I think the natural tendency here, Colby, is to juxtapose what Mike Boynton says during Bedlam week versus what Mike Gundy says, which is always the typical, well, it's just another game. Just they all they all matter the same amount, blah, blah, blah. And look, I'm not asking Mike Gundy to give Lincoln Riley bulletin board material before games, but it, it sure is refreshing for a coach to – treat Bedlam as important as it is to everyone else. I, I loved what Mike Boynton said. That's personal. We don't like them. I, I thought it was great. Yeah, I absolutely uh, loved it. And just to pull back the curtain a little bit for our listeners, we were supposed to record a little bit earlier this morning. We had some things happen and ended up backing it up. And it's a good thing we did because Carson, we've got some breaking news. We would have sat here for a half hour and previewed a game that will not be played oh, tomorrow. No. As we're recording one minute ago, Marshall Scott, tweets and says sources Oklahoma State's Bedlam game against Oklahoma has been postponed because of COVID more info to be released shortly Marshall does not tweet that if Marshall does not know that to be the case so I just I was so on board with what you said everything Mike Boynton said in the post game the other night I mean I'm like my, my skin is itching ready for this Bedlam game you've got all the momentum coming off Kansas your, your coach is in the locker room telling the guys not from Oklahoma we don't like them it's personal and now it's been taken away from us. So it looks like Oklahoma State's going to go, what will that be, 11 days between Kansas and Baylor uh, as Man. Oklahoma State's next game. That's a bummer. Oh, that stinks. 2021 huge stinks bummer. just like 2020 stunk. Huge um, this is actually a huge break for, for OU, uh, Colby, which we we're going to talk a little bit about when we thought the game was happening. But OU does get J1 Hill back, but they were still going to be without Brady Manick. That's a huge boost for them that they're not having to play without him in Stillwater so we'll have to wait and see when this game is actually played if it is obviously COVID is just wreaking havoc on the NBA it's also creating a lot of postponements in, in NCAA so that that stinks no bedlam we'll have to wait all the way until next Saturday when OSU is supposed to play Baylor I know Baylor's had their issues as well so that's a uh, big breaking news on the podcast no bedlam basketball 
this Saturday. And so any semblance of momentum, quote unquote, is going to be gone by the time OSU suits up again. But you did like, you, you do like how Mike Boyden will come out and say what Bedlam really means. I mean, I, I thought that was fantastic. Yeah, I did too, because, you know, to somebody like, and he, he signaled out, uh, or he singled out Bernard Kuma whenever he was talking to the post game. He's like, you know, guys like Bernard here aren't from here. I don't know if you know this, we don't like them. You, you know, I get that, and Mike Boynton's not from here, but he's fully embraced what Bedlam is. And to, to people like you and I who attended Oklahoma State, to Oklahoma State fans uh, all over the state of Oklahoma, it, it, it means more. It's not just another game, and, and I don't like the just another game mentality because it's really not. It's Bedlam. It, it does mean more to the fans. It means more to the players who are from this state, and I think that it should be treated that way across the board, all sports. And, you know, we've seen Josh Holliday, who's an Oklahoma State guy. Look what he's done with the baseball program in Bedlam. You think that's just another game to Oklahoma State baseball? It ain't just <laughs> another game. They're out there to put their foot down and, and show them who's boss and who runs this state. And I like that Mike Boynton has that same mentality. Yep, me too. He, he just gets it. That's the best way to describe Mike Boynton. He gets it. So, unfortunately, he can't back all that talk up because they're not going to play. But um, I did think this was interesting too. You know, Kate Cunningham played much better against Kansas early on. He really dominated that opening few minutes of that game, really took it over. And I've, I've spoke a lot about this. Like, I, I've just kind of wanted a little bit more from, from Cade. He's 6 of 12, 18 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. Good game. Uh, I think I, maybe I'm asking a little too much because the Athletic wrote a, a really nice column on it. If you're an Athletic subscriber, uh, they talk a lot about Cade making OSU a winning program just with his work ethic on and off the floor. And as poor as the start has been for OSU, there was an interesting nugget in this article, Colby, is Oklahoma State's 9-3, and three, and they're 34th in the net rating, rankings with four wins over quad one opponents, which as of Wednesday was tied for most in the country. So just think, Colby, if they hadn't given up that horrible late lead to TCU, if, if they had somehow found a way to beat Texas, my goodness, they'd be, they'd be sitting pretty come tournament times. I didn't realize they had, they had the most quad wins in the country. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that either. And it's amazing the difference one play at the end of that game can make. You know, Cade makes the block, throws it into Bryce, ahead to Rondell, and he makes it, and they ended up beating Kansas. And the difference in what could have happened and what did happen is, is the, the total difference between us sitting here talking about these quad one wins and how great Cade was and the phenomenal finish and this team having momentum and look like they're heading in the right direction. Imagine if Kansas just dumps it down to McCormick and he scores and Kansas wins. We're sitting here today talking about an Oklahoma State team that can't win, can't finish, blew another 16-point second-half lead. It, it's, and it really is the margin in the Big 12. It's that small. It's that small when these games are so close at the end. But, yeah, Oklahoma State, you, you look at the resume as a whole now. You lose to Texas by three. You lose to TCU by a point. You lose to West Virginia by three. Those are the only three losses on the season. And this is a team that I think – I don't know about you, Carson, but I get the feeling that most teams don't really want a piece of Oklahoma State come tournament time uh, and think that this could be a scary team because, look, everybody knows that when Oklahoma State takes the floor, they've got the best player on the floor. The only time that that could maybe be contested is if they were to somehow get matched up against Gonzaga at some point along the way uh, and Jalen Suggs were to be out on the floor. But other than that, Oklahoma State's always going to have the best player on the floor. Isaac Likely 
is doing good things. I think if Caleb Boone can get himself where he needs to be mentally, he's talked about the way that he struggled, and you can have a little bit of an inside presence. This is a team that I think, you know, there are still going to be ups and downs as we go because they're very young, but this is a scary, talented team. Oh, it is. And I, I, I kept saying them that you want to play this team early. So that, that's another uh, reason you want to play them early is they're, they're going to grow and mature. And some of the, some of the points you brought up too, Marshall Scott, or no, this was Kyle Boone uh, wrote a really nice article on pistols firing kind of by the numbers, OSU basketball through 12 games. And you hit on a lot of it, but I just kind of want to take you through it a little bit. This was an interesting number. Uh, OSU is pushing the pace on offense and they're slowing it down on defense. They rank uh, first among Big 12 teams in terms of their adjusted tempo. So they're, they're pushing the pace. And it's average possession length ranks second in the Big 12 uh, behind only Baylor. So they, they're really pushing the pace, playing up tempo, which I think is a good thing for a team that doesn't shoot it very well from the outside. You don't want teams to set up in those zones and get set in their defense and play in the half court. And on defense, they're, they're forcing teams to take a long time. They're, they're forcing the fourth slowest possession length among all Big 12 teams. And uh, so they're making teams work with their, with their defense and, and they're pushing the pace on offense. Is that, is that something you'd like to see more of moving forward? Yeah, it definitely is. This team is fun to watch because, I mean, they, they want to go. This team wants to go. This is not a team that's trying to win games 51 to 49. This is a team that wants to win games in the 70s. Uh, and we've seen that. We saw them against West Virginia. That game got really up there in scoring. Same thing uh, to an extent against Texas Tech. So th this team wants to go offense, defense. I think part of the reason Oklahoma State got the big lead in the first half was also kind of the, the fluky three-point shooting. You know, when Avery Anderson had a, hit a crossover step back three from four feet behind the line, you kind of knew it was going Oklahoma State's way early in that game. But about middle of that first half, Oklahoma State tried to, started to go with the uh, full-court press, fall back into that zone that they play, and that gave <laughs> Kansas a lot of problems and, and really sped Kansas up and caused them to turn the ball over and make some mistakes. So I, I love the energy that Oklahoma State plays with, and that probably comes from the fact that a lot of guys on this team are so young. Yep, no doubt. So I, I think they got to push the pace, again, to, to avoid the, the half-court for sure. And Three-point shooting, we knew this, uh, remains a weak spot. <laughs> they're ninth in the Big 12 in three-point shooting, and they're 208 out of 345 nationally. Um, the good news is uh, three-pointers account for just 26% of OSU scoring this season compared to two-pointers. Texas Tech is the only other Big 12 team whose three-point shooting accounts for fewer total points of its offense. So at least Mike Boynton's told them, guys, let's, let's not shoot as many threes. Let's get in the paint and let's get – easier buckets but you did touch on this earlier Isaac likely six of 12 from three you know obviously 50 percent is a good percentage he's only taken 12 of them but that's something that he just frankly wouldn't wouldn't and couldn't do earlier in his career and you mentioned he hit the biggest shot of the game really that three-pointer to tie things and stem the tide against Kansas Barry Trammell wrote a really nice column about Isaac likely he, he actually said uh, Isaac likely is approaching like his favorite Cowboys of all time which he said is over a long period of time and it's a short list. Can you guess who Barry Trammell's favorite OSU basketball player of all time is? Uh, I'm played, in, played, it, played in the 90s. I'll give you that. Played in the 90s. Big country? No, it's not a superstar. Oh, it's not a superstar. Yeah. Ver uh, well versatile. Well-known Yeah, very well-known name, but unique name. Versatile. Oh, Give it to me. Keontae Roberts. 
a good Which, one. That's a that's a tough one to guess. That's not Keontae Roberts is never on the tip of your tongue when it comes to OSU trivia. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking all superstars. So when you said not a super superstar, my mind was going blank on me. Yeah, I mean that's such a trammel answer to have Keontae Roberts as your all-time favorite OSU basketball player because Keontae was awesome. Don't get me wrong, but he was a role player on that that Final Four team and and just a really good player who could guard all, all five positions. And I think that's part of why Barry liked him and likely he's turned into a really good player. And he actually compared likely to Lou Dort who plays for the Thunder, just kind of a big, strong, bulky guard. Yeah. I, I kind of like that comparison quite a bit. They can play defense. Uh, he's obviously more of a point guard than Lou Dort is as a shooting guard, but I, I kind of like the, the physical comparison there. Yeah, I do too. That's uh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought about that. So let's put you on the spot then. Who's your favorite Oklahoma State basketball player of all time? Oh, I need like a half a second to even answer that. It's, it's Des- Not it's the De- best. Not the best. Just your favorite. You want me to go yeah. first? Because I've got mine. Go ahead. My favorite is uh, Desmond Mason for a few reasons. Number one, I was born in 1992. So as a kid growing up, I that was kind of my introduction to Oklahoma State basketball was Des catching lobs and throwing them down from what seemed like 15 feet in the air. Um, also, when I was with the franchise, I got to work with Des for about a year, and uh, he was an absolute blast to be around. Um, so it's it's an easy decision for me. I got to go with Des. That was my answer as well. I was born in 84, so obviously I was a little older, and I think I was at the perfect age where watching sports on TV matters to you the absolute most. Right in that 13 to 16, 15 age, it, in my opinion, is when you root the hardest for your teams because you're not out with your friends driving around anywhere. Like That is like your entertainment. That is what you do is you watch the games on TV with your folks. And the, the games start to matter a little less to you the older you get. They, they really do. And that, that 2000, 2001 team with Doug and Desmond's my all-time favorite. It's funny you brought him up, actually, because there was a there was a, a video circulating today that I retweeted uh, from Jordan Smith, who works for OSU. It's I had forgotten about this play, but I obviously remembered it once I saw it. it was Brett Robish throws a full court pass, baseball style to Desmond Mason and Lloyd Noble. Yep. And they call an intentional foul as Desmond slams it and does about 18 fist pumps <laughs> with less than a minute to go. And the best part of this clip, obviously Desmond catches it and dunks and does all the celebrating and stuff. And, basically ices the game because they called an intentional foul, which was a really soft intentional foul. But they show Eddie's face on the standing on the sideline. I would encourage everyone to go look at this. He's got this like, this look as if someone just told him his toilet was clogged. He has this like disappointed, surprised look on his face as if like those guys are lucky this play worked or their asses would be walking back to Stillwater. He, he's like upset, befuddled, amazed, and excited all at the same time but he has this blank look on his face it's a hilarious clip so i'd encourage everyone to go to my my twitter and, or jordan smith at least and, and check that out but yeah it's, yeah, it's desmond i mean De- that, desmond. that's classic eddie that's classic des that's uh and they did it in norman too so i hadn't seen that play in a long time and i saw it earlier whenever you retweeted it come across and i watched it several times because it's uh it's pretty awesome yeah i mean and again desmond was just he was for kids like you and me, like he was our MJ in terms of like the, the high flying dunks. Like he did like incredible dunks during a game, like in through the flow of a game. And I, I will always, I brought this up on the show before with Kyle, but 
I distinctly remember, you know, I'd always heard that Desmond at Old Gallagher before the referees would arrive, you know, because back then the students were, the student section was filled, you know, two and a half hours before the game, whenever they would open the, the gates. And I'd always heard that Desmond would do his own, basically his own version of the dunk contest for all the students who were sitting there before the refs could come. So obviously if the refs are there, you can't dunk. It's, it's a technical foul and all that. So I used to beg my dad, beg him to take me to the games like two hours early so I could watch this. Now, most of these were on a school night. My dad had to work so that it didn't happen. But I do remember being there early enough to catch like his last two that he would do. And it was insane. And there was no, it was no surprise to anyone who followed him that he ended up winning the NBA dunk contest. So Des is like uh, easily, easily, easily my, my favorite OSU player of all time. So that was a fun trip down memory lane. Uh, that's it for basketball, Colby. Let's get to some football news here too. Uh, Christian Holmes announces he's returning to OSU defense, which there's been a lot of defections to the NFL and just guys wanting to move on. So that's a, that's a welcome return. Cause I thought he played better down the stretch. Uh, Cameron Murray announces he's going to the NFL, which he's been in school for five years. So it, it makes sense. And I think he, he, especially Colby is a guy that we don't talk about a lot, but was a really good player on the defensive line for OSU. Yeah, he was a, a really good player on the defensive line and he's got some pretty good measurables too. I'm curious to see what he can do, um, at the next level, if he gets drafted or if he has to go in. Uh, as an undrafted free agent, but I think Christian Holmes returning is a, a big deal. I wasn't real surprised by it because I think that he firsthand got to see what Rodarius Williams did this year and how Rodarius Williams went from a guy who might have had to grind as an undrafted free agent to a guy who's likely going to be drafted on the second day of the draft in either rounds two or three. And I think Christian Holmes looks at that and says, you know what, if I leave now, I'm probably going to have to do the same thing. I'm probably going to have to go grind as an undrafted free agent, try to make my way on a roster somewhere. But what if I come back and do what Rodarius did? I think that that absolutely is what he has on his mind. And I hope he pulls it off because if he can be anything close to what Rodarius was this year, that will work wonders for Oklahoma State's defense and what Jim Knowles likes to do with his aggression. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, you get Malcolm Rodriguez, Trey Sterling back. That helps. But Losing Murray uh, is, a, is a loss. And I think it's important to note, too, when, when speaking about a guy like Cameron Murray, is the job uh, Joe Bob Clements has done coaching the defensive line since Mike Gundy's hired him. Uh, I, I kind of thought about, you know, Mike's basically hiring Bill Snyder's staff. You know, he hired uh, the O-line coach. He hired Joe Bob. I, he just wants to just – I think he's slowly turning into Bill Snyder before our very eyes. But – all jokes aside, Clements has done a fantastic job with that defensive line because OSU, since he's arrived, has had guys who look the part and like waves of them, like multiple units of defensive linemen that can come in there and play defensive tackle. Guys who are getting drafted, like a Vincent Taylor comes to mind. Obviously, Emmanuel Ogba was before Joe Bob, but guys of that ilk that are going to get drafted. And so uh, that a shout out to him. I think he's, he's done a really good job with the defensive line. Yeah, he has. And come to think of it, it, it's been harder for teams to run the ball on Oklahoma State uh, as of late. You look at even a Ramondre Stevenson, he really struggled for three-plus quarters until Oklahoma State got worn down. He ripped off a couple big ones in the fourth quarter, but obviously that was uh, probably one of the best backs they've seen all year, right along with Brees Hall. Um, and Brees Hall, he was able to get his a little bit, but still, I, I think that was the plan for Oklahoma State in that game and it worked for them. So yeah, I'm, I'm very impressed with what Oklahoma State's done on the defensive line. 
Yeah, for sure. And we, we meant, I forgot to mention this in uh, last week's show or last show we taped was uh, D Anderson entering the transfer portal once again, again, with, with COVID, with all these, you know, free, basically free reign to transfer. Uh, he obviously, it was a transfer from LSU. When we saw him on the field, I wondered why he didn't play more because man, he looked the part, obviously there had to be some disconnect there. And uh, he, he ends his OSU career with one catch for 14 yards and he's six, six, Went to LSU. I uh, I would have liked to have seen him more, but uh, he's moving on. Yeah, I really wonder if if it's a D Anderson problem because you know we we heard uh, about his time at LSU where he was suspended for a year and there there were some things that he just couldn't get under control and I don't know if it was grades, I don't know if it was team rules, I don't know what it was, work ethic, I don't know. But then he comes to Oklahoma State and he's basically invisible for a year and now he's in the transfer portal. So I, I think that. If I were speculating, and that's all this is, is speculation, D. Anderson has still a little bit of soul-searching left to do um, to figure out what, what he wants to do and if he wants to play football at a high level because he couldn't make it work at LSU, he couldn't make it work at OSU, and I'm curious to see where he goes next. You, you know, he came through Stillwater. I'll root for anybody that comes through Stillwater. Um, but I, I think that this is much more about D. Anderson than it is about Oklahoma State and the wide receiver position. Yep, I, I think I'm with you there. Um... Let's see here. Yeah, there weren't there weren't just a whole lot of catches to go around. Obviously, you know, Tylen had 900 yards, Stoner had 500, Braden Johnson only had 20 catches but had 250 yards. How many, how many yards did Jelani have? Like 26? Uh, Jelani had 129 on eight catches, which should have been like one game for him. Uh, I love it. <laughs> but no, oh, I mean, speaking of huge tight ends, I saw the news that Charlie Kolar is coming back to Iowa State, and that kind of floored me a little bit. And I don't love it because he is so good, and now the Big Twelve has to deal with him for another year. Yeah, I, I was stunned by that. I thought for sure he would go pro, but I think Matt Campbell did some serious recruiting of his guys that were on campus already because you know eight of the nine first teamers from the All Big Twelve team are coming back, so they're ready to. You know, but let's talk about OU trying to win a national title in 2021. Like Iowa State's going to be a very game game opponent. I think it's basically Oklahoma and Iowa State one two, and uh, it's up to OSU and Texas to try to you know get up there and, and knock one of those two off for the Big 12 title game. Um, you know, I, we didn't mention this either. Landon Wolf also entered the transfer portal, so they're going to be without their one, two, three of their top four receivers from last year are now gone between Landon Wolf, Stoner, and Wallace. So. Guys returning, Tay Martin, Braden Johnson, Brennan Presley. Uh, and then it's a bunch of guys who haven't really played. So that, that's a – there's going to be plenty of catches to go uh, to up for grabs for, for next year. Yeah, I think it's really going to be on Tay Martin and Brennan Presley to have big years. The, the Tay Martin and Brennan Presley we got in the bowl game, that's the Tay Martin and Brennan Presley that Oklahoma State's going to need for the entire season. Yeah, I'm with you. And Logan Carter is in like his 12th year of eligibility, I believe. Let me see here. Yeah, he's a senior this year, so I assume he can come back. Uh, so that'll be the, the starting Cowboy back, I would assume, for, for OSU. So that's it for football news. Uh, let's get to buckets and bricks, shall we? This is uh, our segment where instead of bullets and BBs, we, we switch the name back to buckets and bricks for basketball season. And this is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop Cowboy shop on campus corner. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Time for buckets and bricks, Colby. What do you got? Yeah, for my bucket, it, it's pretty simple. It's got to go to the big man on campus, Cade Cunningham. Uh, you, you know, on Tuesday, whenever I predicted Oklahoma State to beat Kansas, I said 
Cade's got to have a big one. He's got to take over. He wants to be the guy. He needs to be the guy. And he, he did a lot of things offensively, but defensively in that game, I thought he was phenomenal. You, you know, the guys he was guarding on the perimeter, Jalen Wilson was in that game for Kansas. He was matched up with him a lot. Jalen Wilson had four points on seven shots in that game, uh, projected first round draft pick next season for Kansas. And not only that, but, you know, when a play needs to be made and you've got a superstar on the floor, they've got to go make it. And Cade made it on the defensive end, and that's what's so special about it. He, he locked his guy up. He helped. He got the block. He found Bryce Williams in midair, which I promise that is so much more difficult to do than Cade made it look, and it really led to the run out that won Oklahoma State the game. So for everything that he did on Tuesday night, uh, you know, you, you want to be the man, you want to be a star, go do it against one of the best names in the country in the Kansas Jayhawks, and he did it on Tuesday. Yeah, that's a good one. Cade really played well, and hopefully see more of that moving forward. And he's having a great year. Look, did I, do I think he could do more? Sure, but I'm probably being a little hard on him. He played outstanding against Kansas. Um, for me, I was going to go Rondell Walker because before uh, the Kansas game, I, I kind of mentioned that, you know, he's not going to be a Cade Cunningham-level superstar that is introduced last during starting lineups when he does start. And he's not going to be probably the Big 12 player of the year during his career. He's not going to be like the star of the team probably during his tenure of OSU, although he may be. But he's kind of like that Ivan McFarland personality where OSU fans just love the guy to where he'll get an ovation as if he's the best player on the team because he's so beloved. And I think he's already there. I think people really responded when I tweeted that out, like whenever – he's introduced in the starting lineups whenever that happens. I think he's going to get like the loudest cheer because he plays so hard. He didn't have a great game against Kansas, but he made that one of the biggest plays of the entire game. So I want to give one to him. And uh, I also want to do a kind of a joint one here with Bryce Williams, who we talked about earlier with his dunk. Uh, let's see here. Marshall Scott pointed this out in his five thoughts. It's amazing that Ole Miss that went 15 and 17 only started Bryce Williams twice. And he averaged wow. three points and about under a steal a game. And he averages eight and a half a game for OSU and over a steal and a half per game. Like, I don't know who was coaching Ole Miss or what they were doing, but they clearly didn't play this kid enough because he just makes stuff happen a lot like Rondell Walker. Those are my buckets. Yeah, Bryce Williams is, you know, who I think we were told Farron Flavors would be coming into the season. Uh, Bryce Williams is taking on that role as kind of the one shooter that you really have to worry about for Oklahoma State. And to, to an effect, Cade Cunningham can shoot, but – you know, that's not what Cade does. That's what Bryce does is shoot. So uh, I definitely like that one. I've got to give my brick to Bill Stealth because I, I assume that Marcus Garrett did not go rogue for Kansas on the most important possession of the game. I, I mean, seriously, McCormick was scoring at will every possession. And then when the game is on the line, they just clear it out for Garrett and let him go one-on-one. -on -one. He gets blocked. Oklahoma State scores. I, I thought for a coach – to basically have one thing that was un indefensible. Oklahoma State had no answer for it at any point, and to completely go away from it on the most important possession of the game, uh, assuming that his players didn't go rogue, that Garrett didn't go rogue on him, I've got to give a brick to Bill Self for basically outsmarting himself and thinking, ooh, th this is what's worked for the last half hour. Let's do something different. We'll trick them. Well, you, you tricked yourself right into a loss, uh, and I'm sure that that was a long ride back to Lawrence. So my brick goes to Bill Self. Yeah, Bill Self didn't get too many bricks in his career, but uh, no, he doesn't. 82% career winning percentage, about a 45% win percentage in Gallagher-Iba. 
that's got a sting coaching against his alma mater. Uh, speaking of Gallagher Iba, Colby, I don't know if this is COVID related, if they're some sort of construction I'm not aware of at Gallagher Iba, but they've gone back to old Gallagher camera angle, which always looks like it's sitting above the courts, like directly above. It looks like you're, you're straining your neck to look downward from the camera angle. We used to see this all the time in old Gallagher because they had this like crow's nest type thing built into the ceiling. And they've gone away from it now with new Gallagher's. They obviously have multiple levels and there's clearly a place to put the camera. They even built a spot for the camera for crying out loud. But the old camera angles back and the, the players look like ants. Uh, it's, it's terrible. I know you didn't get to see that on TV because you were there, but it's, it's awful. I'm big time brick for that one. Yeah, I hate that for all y'all that were stuck home watching that game. That's brutal. Who's your brick? Oh, uh, you already did your brick. That's right. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, let's I, mean, I can throw out more bricks. That's what I was known for when I played intramural. <laughs> Me too. Uh, so now that'll do it. Uh, you got one one interesting thing before we get out of here? Uh, one I mean, it's not that interesting. I'm, I'm such a golf nerd, and I know there aren't that many golf nerds. But the season, is it's rolling. Victor Hovland didn't have a very good Sunday. Shot 76 at Kapalua. Backed himself out of, uh, you know, a chance to contend for that title. But Charles Howe III is at a tournament that he has been historically good at throughout his career this week with the Sony Open. So, And it's in Hawaii, so the coverage doesn't even come on until like 6 o'clock. You get home from work, throw on the TV, little golf channel, little Sony Open, uh, especially since we don't have Oklahoma State basketball tomorrow. I will be watching Buku Golf this weekend. Have you watched the Tiger documentary yet? Oh, yeah. I, I can't believe I've only watched it once, honestly. I went into it, and again, I think only part one's out, right? I couldn't find part two. It doesn't come out until I think this weekend. Is that right? Uh, part two comes out Sunday night, yeah. That's right. Okay, I was making sure I wasn't just illiter uh, TV illiterate. But uh, I went into it fully expecting to be disappointed based on the reviews. And, of course, I was just captivated for the entirety of it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, but they're going to get a little more scandalous for, for part two. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, one interesting thing, I, I forgot to mention this, Chris Harris done for the season for OSU, unfortunately, yeah. uh, second straight year, he's out for the year with a knee injury. I think it's ACL. Uh, that's not my one interesting thing, but I, I, I digress if I, I had to mention that. Just real quick, Chris Harris strikes me as the guy who's going to have all these injuries early and everybody's going to ride him off. And then in like 2025, he's going to be a seventh year senior averaging 18 a game. <laughs> I hope so. Cause man, that's, you just, you feel for the kid going through that. Uh, let's see here. I had an article that The Athletic wrote on uh, Mike Yursich. And there were some interesting OSU tidbits in there, mainly when, when Gundy interviewed him. And the installation of the offense that Yursich put in, apparently they had – I thought this was interesting for OSU purposes, and I think OSU still does this. Yursich installed these one-word cadences to get to the line of scrimmage. They would say one word, and it, it would, the offense would just line up. And they wouldn't be lining up for just a base play. It was like an entire offense for each word. And his old quarterback from Shippensburg claimed that they had like animals. So like if it was a power formation, it would be a powerful animal. If it was a fast uh, play, it was a fast animal. So I thought that was super interesting in terms of the type of offense and that's how they played so fast under OSH uh, when, when your was there. And I hope that's something they, they should play more up tempo. That, that only helps the offense. I think wearing out the defense before they get set. And uh, one last quote from Mike, he said he, he gave a strong recommendation to Penn state coach uh, James Franklin. He said, I told him your is a great teacher. He's highly intelligent. 
hard worker and extremely loyal. There's your four keys to being a good coach. He's got all of them. So that was interesting, kind of just the way he uh, evolved OSU's offense when he was there. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think we've both talked about we would like to see a lot more up-tempo next year. That really bodes well for Sanders. Yep, I'm with you. Colby Powell, uh, good reporting from uh, from Gallagher-Iba. Hopefully I'll be there at some point in 2021, but unfortunately there's no Bedlam on Saturday. So we'll have to uh, get with you next week and, and talk about how they move forward from here and if their next game against Baylor is even going to happen. So we'll uh, we'll talk to you then. Absolutely. Sounds good. Have a good weekend.